Uh, it's a bit of a strange week this week because uh, we are sort of preaching the last section of, of Matthew. Uh, I say that because the subject somewhat of today's sermon is whether or not these passages that, that end, or, sorry, of Mark, Mark, I was looking at Matthew as I was reading. Uh, we're finishing the Gospel of Mark, but this last section of Mark is questionable. Is it actually scripture or not? We're going to talk about that. And well, there's kind of major implications for our faith if these are or not. What do we do with scripture? How do we, how do we give scripture its proper place? And how do we receive it in a way that honors what it is? Um, so that's going to be somewhat what we're talking about. But uh, we're also going to be looking at, okay, this, this ending... Thankfully, it's not unique to Mark, and it gives us some, some very clear calls that are reflected in other parts of the uh, other Gospels and in other parts of Scripture. And so we're going to see, okay, the, this, this text isn't actually Scripture, but the truths in it are, are in Scripture, and we're going to look at some of those truths, namely the call to believe in Christ and his resurrection, and then to, to go and proclaim his name. All right, so let's go ahead and read Mark 16, 9 through 20, uh, and then we'll, we'll look at some of these, these concepts here. Now, when he, arose early on the fir- uh, when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he, was, he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they wept and, and mourned. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, They would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So when the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This is not the word of the Lord, but we should be looking at it. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we ask that you'd, uh, you'd help us to understand these things. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can, uh, can know it. And Father, we thank you that for a, just a long season through Mark and for your faithfulness to, to show us your son and to show us his kingdom. And Father, we pray that we might truly follow the king, that we might rejoice to be in this kingdom and we might live in it, that we would be hid with Christ on high and that we'd be found in him and not found in this world. Father, would you help us along that path? Would you help us to understand it? And Father, would you help us to bring a witness? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... uh, I've said some things, and we need to back it up. So, uh, first, why is this not the real ending of Mark? All right, so verses uh, 9 through 20 
you're looking, maybe you're looking at your Bible and you're saying, this, they're in my Bible. It feels like it's Scripture. It feels like this is the Word of God. It's, it's in there. And I'm saying it's not. And by saying that, I'm saying that there, there are certain truths that are not applied to this passage that are applied to other passages. Implied every week is that Scripture gets to speak and Scripture gets to have authority and Scripture gets to determine our lives. Uh, that Scripture is uh, authoritative. It has the authority to tell you what to do and tell me what to do. That it, it rules out and it is the ultimate trump card of everything. Uh, we say that it's inerrant. That it does not contain error. That there are not mistakes because the, the Lord does not make those. If this is the word of the Lord, we say it's infallible. It does not contain falsehood. It contains truth and truth that governs all of life. All right, what I'm saying is that these, these little, this little section at the end, it doesn't have those attributes, authority, inerrancy, infallibility. And why do I say that? All right. the, the Word of God in the New Testament, it was given to us by by the authoritative and inspired working of the Holy Spirit. All right, so the Holy Spirit was, was working through people and creating in the first century these things that would become canon that would stand and last. And because God was working through them, it has this nature. And it's not just that uh, anything can be this. It's that in the first century, this is the the product of, of real people witnessing the work of Christ. It wasn't just uh, random Christians. No, there's a special time for the inscripturation, for the making of the New Testament. So that the people that we, we, we talk about in these stories, they were still alive. They could speak to them. That real people who had really seen Christ risen or reference to make these scriptures. And so then, the, the original first century writings, those are the things that are authoritative and infallible and inerrant. And, and thank God that they are, because otherwise, we would just be making up this whole thing as we go along. But thankfully, we have, we've received what we have. All right, now, uh, the question is, if there was this thing that was in the first century, it was the infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God by the Holy Spirit, how do we get to it now? How do we know that we have it? How do we receive it? How do we, how do we know that, that that has anything to do with the thing that's in our Bible now? All right. I'm going to show you. All right. Uh, so, first... Uh, Okay, let's see. Let's just pull up the slide, Christine. All right. I did not make this slide. I stole it from the internet. All right. I'm not, I'm not good at making graphics like this. Okay. So, well, look at this. Uh, I wish that I could tell you that we have the magic first edition that Paul penned with his own hand, that Mark wrote with his own hand, like we have the Constitution. And it's sealed away somewhere, and you know what? No, it's, we have the, the first copy. All right. We do not. 
I cannot tell you that we have that. Now, what can I tell you we have? I can tell you we have 5,800 copies of these manuscripts. Ancient, ancient manuscripts and, and all of these lines over the centuries of people who have made copies of these things. Now, why is that good news? First of all, that is good news because in, there's other ancient documents that we talk about. And there's like three copies or two copies. And what happens is if you don't have that many copies, you don't, if some, some error gets introduced, you don't know because it's the only thing there. But look, look over here. Okay, so we have really early copies, and they start to get copied down and, and, and transcribed. And we realize that if over these thousands of thousands of copies, if one has this weird difference, an error. We can look at all the other ones and say, well, if one out of 5,000 has this, it's, it's probably not what it's there, and so we, we get rid of that. And we do this with this whole web of all of these manuscripts, and we realize, all right, we can deduce back what, what it originally said, and we can see how errors got introduced, and we can cut them out, and there's an actual kind of science to this. It's not just this willy-nilly, well, we'll just pick which one we like. Or we'll just, we'll just go with that whatever one seems to, seems to fit best with all of our other theology. No, it's not, that's, that's not what we do. We trace back and we say, okay, those early copies, we can see how things changed. All right, that's how we get back and know, okay, what did the Bible actually say? All right. I would normally say ask for questions because that felt like a lecture, uh, but I'm not going to say questions. Uh, all right, why on earth should you care? Why should you care? Because first of all, it's not just that we have this weird magic copy, it's that we have so much information here that there's so much verification that the things that are in our Bible are actually what was given down and passed down by generation by generation. And we can find the errors and the things that, that we believe are, are not questionable. That, that we have a true access to those original thoughts is, is really well-grounded. All right, second, why should you care? You should care because these verses... Don't appear until kind of like down here. <laughs> the 9 through 20, they, didn't actually, they weren't actually in the early stuff. And we start to realize, oh, someone probably put this in later. And some put in a lot of verses. Some put in just a couple verses. And we realize, wait, they weren't copying this. It seems strange. It didn't originate up here. It seems like it just got introduced randomly. And some of you have made comments to me uh, this week, and you said, we, that seems like a really goofy ending to Mark. Why do they end with, with this kind of open suggestion that, yeah, there's, there's going to be, they're, they're, they're afraid, and they, they went in awe and didn't tell anyone. Like, that seems like a weird ending. And we can realize that someone along the line probably didn't like that ending. 
And they thought, that really is a bad ending. I don't like the ending. And so what did they do? They went to all the other Gospels and said, oh, I'll, I'll pick out that ending from this one, this one from that one, that other ending. I'll explain some miracles that usually t- tend to happen at that time, and I'll smash them in there. All right, there's even manuscripts that say, like, I'm writing this down, but I don't know if it should be in here. But I'm putting it in because I don't want to be responsible for missing parts of Scripture. Okay, that, that, they're doing a good job, and they, they put the little note in here. And that's why... In some Bibles, it puts a little note there. It puts that same thing. It says, we're going to put it in there, but it probably shouldn't be in your Bible. But uh, we don't want to get in trouble. All right. Now, you still don't care. and I know you still don't care. Uh, and some of you probably sit there and you're thinking, this is why... Peter, I don't, I don't need to know how, how it was made. I just want to eat the food. Um, or or you're, you're upset because you're saying, I like this part. I like this part. It's in my Bible, and that's good enough for me. All right. You can't say that. You can't say that because that's, that undermines what this, what this thing is. That this is not your, your buffet, and you get to choose what you want in it. And the word of the Lord is not something that is created. It's something that's received from God. And it doesn't matter if you like it or not. What matters is, is it the word of God or not? And so if, if you can say, well, I like this, so it should be the Bible. Uh, by that same token, too many people go around and say, I don't like this, so it shouldn't be the Bible. Or I don't happen to like that part. And so... You know, it's not going to be in my Bible. It's not, that, that part I'm going to leave out of my heart. That part I'm not going to incorporate into the way that I worship. And it starts this really bad precedent. And it turns into not the God that you, you receive and, and see, but this God that we create and is the product of our imagination. Right. That is not the God we worship. That's not a God you can worship. That's a God that is, it's just about your worship. You created him. He's a, he's a product of your, your imagination, and that's why you like him. Right. Instead, we have this God that we receive. And I say this apologetically as well, so that what, that's not with apology. That means, apologetically, that's a fancy word. Uh, that means... This helps in how we share the gospel and how we prove our faith. Because there's a lot of people who they just say, you know what, you didn't receive it. You just created the word. Or some elite team a long time ago decided between all of these thousands of books that they want, they want 20 or so of them. And it's just all this political agenda. All right. No, it's not. That the scriptures became the scriptures because they were first century witnesses. And because they had to do those kind of councils where they said, no, you can't, that's not scripture. Because down here, some people were like, hey, Peter didn't get a gospel. I'll write him one. And then we'll say that's scripture. Or they say, you know, you know I, I think an interesting story would be the story of Enoch. He never got to say a say, but he was a pretty cool guy. Let's make a scripture for him. All right. Thankfully, we have people who are going around and saying, no, that doesn't count. We're going to cut those ones. Or you have people who say, you know, I want less books, 
I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Let's cut all that stuff out. And then people had a council and say, no, you can't do that. All right. This is not a political agenda. This is recognizing the things when heretics come and try to strike this down. The church has risen up and said no. Okay. Um, we have a canon. We have a basis of the word of the Lord. We have a foundation. And it's not something that people created or invented. It's something that was received. And the the application here is, are you able to receive it? Or in your heart, are there parts you don't like and parts that you have affectionately, in your heart, cut out from the word? And even more, like, do you live like it has this great authority over your life? Do you live like God has, has spoken from his word? Do you read it like you want to hear from God? Or is this kind of optional thing that we take up and leave and, and parse through and we, we sit at the buffet or we, we choose our own adventure? All right. There is this great foundation here and does it have power over you and authority? It should. And my, my hope is that it does, day by day by day. All right, we are shifting gears. We are shifting gears. Now you know a little bit more about Scripture, more than you wanted to know. Uh, and now we're asking, okay, What is it that, that made them put it in here in, in the beginning? What did they see and, and they wanted to have at the end of Mark that, that seemed important to them? All right, it's real stuff. And that's where I don't hate what they say. We're just trying to be consistent. But as we end up, this, this whole series of following the king, is there anything left to say? I think the first thing left to say is that the rest of Scripture, the rest of the story, the other Gospels, they don't just leave us with an open tomb. They don't just leave us with an open tomb. Mark does. And Mark has every prerogative to do that, but I'm thankful that there's others that don't. That we actually get to see the risen Christ. We have real eyewitnesses who saw him and let's look at some of those. All right. So first off, the, from in 9 through 11, he talks about Mary Magdalene. That Mary Magdalene saw the Lord. That's John 20, 11 through 18. So let's read that. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Christ's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Notice, this, there's not a lot of, there's not great faith or theology here. They, they stole him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold me onto me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to your brothers and tell them I have been ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with her news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them all that he had said to her. All right, the first appearance of Christ. We talked about how the, those women who were at the tomb who saw him die, that they would be witnesses to the great glory of Christ. And here's Mary Magdalene, the, the last person with Jesus is now the first to get to testify to him. The share of, of this amazing news of the resurrection. And look what he says. He says, I'm ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. That by his resurrection, it's, these things are true. That he earned his place to call him father and God. And yet now, by grace, she gets to call him father and God. We have the road to Emmaus story. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Now this is from Luke 20. Is, uh, this is the story of these two guys who are walking along, chatting about the news, and saying like, and Jesus comes up and he says like, well, you haven't heard what's going on? We, we, uh, we don't really get it, but there's all this crazy news. Someone's saying that, the, that Jesus rose from the dead. And what does Jesus do? Jesus just schools them in the scripture. Basically says, have you never read your Bible? Of course this is happening. He resurrected from the dead. He said he was going to do this. In every single passage, it talks about this. And then, uh, starting verse 30, they invite him to his house. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those who had assembled together and they said, It is true, the Lord is risen. It has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus, recognized, how they had rec- how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This wasn't just the delusion of a a grieving woman. That these two men, they weren't weren't looking for Jesus. They didn't even understand it. They didn't understand the scriptures. They didn't get that Jesus was supposed to resurrect from the dead. And yet here is Jesus before them. He opens their eyes. They have seen the Lord. This is Jesus. He is overcoming people's unbelief with his proof of his resurrection. It's not that these people were just dying to, to believe in anything for hope. No. They had settled that he had died. Mary Magdalene wasn't looking for Jesus walking around. She was looking for his body. These two weren't saying, well, the scripture has to be fulfilled, so we better make something up. No, they... They had no idea how this was supposed to go down. And yet, here is Jesus, and then they understand, and then they believe. 
Afterward, he appeared to eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. John twenty nineteen. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. All right. If we're making up a story, uh, this is a, if I were making up a story, I would not make myself look that dumb. <laughs> that I, I was like cowering in an upper room and heard a bunch of people say that Jesus had resurrected, that Jesus himself had said it, but still refused to believe and had holed up and was terrified. All right. Then Jesus comes and he changes their unbelief to belief because they see him face to face, because they see a resurrected Jesus. These were not these people of great faith. They were not fools who could delude themselves. They knew how life worked. When the one they loved was dead, they accepted it. That unbelief is conquered by seeing the resurrected Jesus and knowing him and touching him. That is why these people believed. And that's why we fight for these scriptures because we don't just say anyone from the second century can just make up that, you know, well, I'll tell you something about Jesus. No, these people actually saw him. They touched him. Their unbelief was conquered by actually seeing Jesus Christ resurrected. These are real testimonies of real people whose real lives were turned upside down because now they had to deal with the fact that they had a, a resurrected Savior. Now, what does this call us to? Unbelief is incredibly natural. Left to ourselves, we are unbelievers. If you're not fighting for belief, the the natural response is to slip back into unbelief. Just because you're here. All right, literally, these are people who are literally touching Jesus. And it says that then that we're still unbelieving in their heart. All right, if that's true of them, all right, we must fight for belief. We must fight to believe. And as the world inundates us with doubts, as we live in a world that lives and breathes as if Christ is not resurrected, we fight to believe. We fight our unbelief. We fill ourselves with the word. We listen to the, to the great arguments of people who went before us to encourage us in our faith. We, we look for solutions to the answers or the questions that we have. We, we wrestle with real doubts. Because, all right, who is someone who never has great a great, bold, evangelistic spirit or who delights in the Lord and does great things for the kingdom. Right? The, the ostrich with his head in the sand never did those things. 
He doesn't do those things. Or the person whose faith is just this kind of like thin varnish of emotionalism and, well, I sure it would, would be nice if Jesus had resurrected from the dead. All right. Those people don't endure persecution. Those people can't go and, and share with great confidence. Those people aren't ready to make great sacrifices. And that's where it, each week it's like, do more, do this, do... If we don't really believe, all right, it's like trying to dance with no music. We can go through the motions, but it just it isn't any fun. <laughs> And that's right, this is really, really core. Do we receive these testimonies? Do we receive the eyewitness accounts? Do we hear of, of Christ's faithfulness in the day-to-day when people are encouraging you day by day as we gather here? Is it building true belief? Because there's immense power in really believing and knowing that Jesus Christ is resurrected, that there's eternal life in him, that there is a future beyond this life and that there is a real kingdom. If you have questions, please, please talk to Steve and to me, to your elders. That's why we're here. All right, you're not bothering us. You're not wasting our time. We're not like, <laughs> like oh, it's ruining my schedule. Like we're, we're, that's what the schedule is for, is for those kind of questions. We're here to build you up in your faith. Like, if, if all of my time were taken up with that, both I and, and Casey would be excited, okay? I promise. I promise she would be excited. <laughs> she didn't see me because I just was doing that all the time. She would be happy. That's what we're here for. All right. If you want to do that, please do. You hear me? All right, good. <laughs> yeah, that's what mother-in-laws are for, right? All right. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, with that in mind, what is, the, what is the final call? At the end of all of this, at the end of follow the king, uh, all right, we're supposed to actually live like this kingdom is real. We're supposed to actually live like this kingdom is real and tell people like it's real and live like it's real for us. All right, what is this? This is uh, when Christ resurrects from the dead, this is a paradigm shift. Paradigm shift, okay. What's a paradigm shift? It's when this, this, this ruling theory and, a, and a, the way of looking at the world completely changes until you, you just can't look at the, same, the world the same again. Everything changes. That your fundamental beliefs change and everything about life kind of has to deal with the implications of that. All right, stupid example. All right, we love stupid examples around here. All right, so... Uh, we live with germ theory right now. It's the idea that if you get sick, how do you get sick? Because little creatures are living inside of you, and they're bad for you. All right, there's viruses. You've heard of those. Uh, there's bacteria. There's mold. There's little creatures that live and make you sick. All right. That wasn't always the model. That's not what they thought. And what did they think? They thought that bad smells would make you sick. And that, that the, the bad, rotting smells would go and get inside of you. And what did you need to get better? You needed, like, better smells and better air. 
That's why in all those BBC movies, there's always like the sick, like decrepit person. What do they say? They're like, go, go, go to the sea. You just need some, some good, strong sea air and you'll be fine. All right, and, and they didn't get that like, oh, like you're supposed to like wash your hands because there's like little creatures living on them. And, uh, all right, was it, was it an okay theory? Yeah, kind of. Like things that smell bad, like they're usually bad for a reason because the little creatures are in it. But, uh, but they didn't really get it. And so they like, they didn't think like, oh, we have to kill these things. No, it was like, we need to clean up our environment so things smell better. And, you know, we need better sanitation. And all right. Then someone came along and was like, no, it's the little bugs. And anyone who lives now in that old world is an idiot. And they don't get it. And they'd be like, well, I don't take antibiotics. That doesn't make any sense. Like, no, it does, because we have to kill the little creatures. It, they'd be fools. Their paradigm hasn't shifted. All right, you haven't met anyone who lives in that old paradigm who's still using leeches and smelling salts and goes to the apothecary. No, they're not there anymore. All right, that's what this is. And the sad thing for me is that for most of us, we were non-Christians. And yet when we realized that Christ had risen from the dead, we didn't actually paradigm shift. We didn't let that become this, oh, this new governing thing that changed our lives completely. We said, well, okay, <laughs> it can come, it can come, in the, and I'll put that in my pocket, and I'll go the same way. All right, that's not reality anymore. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we realized, oh, wait, there's eternal life out there. And not just eternal life for perfect good people, and like Mother Teresa, and he gets in, and maybe Gandhi, but like, I know that's bad theology, because it's just, you just have to be good. Uh, no, we realized, no, it's by faith. Faith in a Savior who gives you grace. And it's not about good people. It's like you, you, if you put your faith in Christ, like you will see eternal life. And there's eternity before you. And it's this little life is not about this life. It's about preparing for eternity and telling people about this news about a Savior and a King and a kingdom that will become the only kingdom. Has your paradigm actually shifted? To where you're not saying, like, oh, like, what can I do in this life? Like, how will I get the maximum amount of pleasure out, out of today? No, has it shifted? So it's like, how can, I, how can I prepare for the kingdom? How can I tell people that this is what is to come? How can I treat Jesus as Lord? How can I glorify and honor his name? How can I show people that I love him and live like I love him? How can I gather for myself even persecutions and sufferings so that I can show that that kingdom is real. That's the shift. And my hope is that through this series, we're able to see, okay, follow the king. Live in the kingdom. Live like it's real. Look at your life and see if it really has shifted. Live in a way that proclaims that that kingdom is real and that we have faith and understand that we're part of it. That we are lifted high, we are seated at the right hand of God, that we are already in that kingdom by faith. 
That is our kingdom. I pray by the, by the Spirit's power that we may make that shift and live there. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you for this testimony, this gospel, this message from Mark. And Father, we thank you that that the paradigm has shifted, that we are promised this kingdom of grace where, where Jesus reigns on high, where there is eternal life and, and an eternity of, of enjoying and knowing Jesus. Father, we ask that we would not neglect this book, that we would not see all of these amazing things about Jesus and about hear about the kingdom that is to come and then simply turn back to our old ways of life. Father, would you forgive us for the ways we do that? Would you forgive us that we, we desire this kingdom and that we love ourselves often more times than we love you, our great King and Savior? Father, would you work in us would you change us and would you send us out with great power to proclaim the name of Jesus because we have great faith founded in, a, in the authoritative word and, and founded in Jesus' real and seen resurrection. Father, would you make these things real and true? Would you change us, we pray in Christ's name.